They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing back. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right. But right now, Oh, right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing. A little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing. It is well with my soul. I know you're able and I know you can. Stay through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know you're able and I know you can. Stay through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you
boys and girls, second grade and below. We have Children's Church for you. Brother Matt Trahan will be leading that. He'll meet you out there in the hallway, second grade and below, boys and girls. Have a great time at Children's Church. Thank you very much, Sherry. That was absolutely beautiful. You did a great job. Absolutely nailed that song. And that is one of my wife and I's favorite songs right now. Absolutely is. Beautiful, uh, beautiful scripturally based words. Oh, uh, Bart. Oh, Bart did another good job there. That's the uh, same guy who did I Can Only Imagine, who, who uh, wrote and sings that song uh, from Mercy Me. Well, if you have your Bible or something that opens up a Bible, an iPhone, iPad, whatever, open it up to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, taking a little break again from 1 Peter, looking at baptism. On August 1st, 1998, almost 20 years ago, I said those wonderful wedding vows to my very, very best friend, my wife, and she put this little ring on my finger. Now, this ring is not what keeps us married. This ring is not what made us married, but this ring is a reminder to me of the covenant that she and I have together. And uh, in fact, when I was in college, um, most of you guys can probably relate with this. When I was in college, you know, uh, we would talk to a young lady and maybe our eyes would avert to their finger to see, uh, see if this girl is attached to someone, right? Uh, we want to know, she got a ring on that finger? That's what we did in college. That's just what it was. Girls would always talk about that. Why do boys always look at my finger? Because we don't want to waste our time talking to a girl who's already made that covenant uh, agreement with some other boy, you know? And so uh, that ring represented, oh, they've already, they've already made that decision. They've already made up their mind about who they're going to be married to or who they're going to be with for the rest of their life. But... The ring doesn't actually make you married. It doesn't actually make you attached. It is that decision to join in relationship. I like to say it like this. This is an outward expression of an inward change. You see, I'm, not only, I'm no longer just myself, but I have now been made one with Kathleen, and we are one unit, Brian and Kathleen Givens. We were married. That's what baptism is like. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Maybe you've wondered that question. Why do we baptize? Why do we get people up there in the tank and hold them underwater for a few minutes? Why, what is that supposed to be doing? Why is that such an essential practice in our faith? You know, and sometimes I think it confuses people because we have the name Baptists in our name that maybe some people think, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. That's not at all what we mean. That's not at all why we practice baptism. Why do we do that? And so I thought since we have four individuals that are going to be expressing the inward change of a faith covenant relationship with Jesus Christ this morning through baptism, this would be a good time to answer that question. Why? Why do we baptize? Why do we baptize? 
And in, in looking about this, talking about this act of obedience, what better example for us to look at than the example of Jesus Christ himself, the author and perfecter of our faith, who himself was baptized, who gave us that wonderful example of what it meant to be put under water. Let's look at our scripture, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for, though, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Verse 16, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks to each and every one of us just right where we are. Lord, I pray that because of your presence, because of your holy word, that none of us would leave this place the same way we walked in. Lord, we would have a, a new understanding of baptism, a new understanding of why we uh, practice this act of obedience. Lord, if there's any of us that have never been baptized, perhaps this would be a morning we would talk about or think about or pray about that commitment, perhaps even act out on that commitment. More than that, Lord, that they've not acted out on that obedience of baptism because they've not yet trusted in you as Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to make that covenant relationship with you, Lord, I pray that let it be, let it be, let nothing hinder us from responding to you this morning. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus, amen. And so because of this scripture, because of what we're talking about, I want to give you four principles of our baptism based on Jesus' baptism. And I could, again, think of no better model for our lives than Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. The first principle is this, the call of obedience is important to God. Why are we baptized? Because the call of obedience is important to God. And Jesus himself saw this need for obedience. When John the Baptist would attempt to deter Jesus from being baptized, how did Jesus respond? He says, my baptism was fulfilling or fitting to fulfill all righteousness there in verse 15. This means that in order to fulfill righteousness, I must be baptized. So, in other words, it was commanded for Jesus to be baptized by God the Father. Now, we don't have this written down in scriptures that we could read. We don't have a, a place in the scriptures where it says the heavens opened up and God said, Go and be baptized, my son. It doesn't say that at all. What do we have, though? We have the fact that Jesus did it. We have... Scripture after scripture in the Gospels of Jesus saying, I only say and I only do what the Father has commanded me to do. In other words, what Jesus taught us throughout the Gospels is that everything he did was purposeful and was an act of obedience to God the Father. He was only there to do and say what God the Father commanded him to do and say. And then we have this, this whole statement about him fulfilling all righteousness. And then we have this little statement at the end of this scripture we read where the, 
heavens do open up and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, that's what pleases a, a father, isn't it? To see his sons to be obedient, to see his son, uh, I mean, think about your own children. What makes you happier than to see your kids obey, right? Nothing, probably, right? And so we know that everything Jesus did, he did because it was the will of God the Father and for him an act of obedience. For, for us, Jesus, though, makes this an act of obedience for all believers when he gives what's called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This command, this commission, this imperative from, uh, from Matthew handed to the disciples was to make more disciples. To be his disciples, he commands that they be baptized. That's us. All of the disciples that the disciples would be making someday would be passed down to us eventually. And so if they're commanded to, be to go and baptize, then that, that, that follows, us to, uh, follows out to us. We are the ones to be baptized. And so it's an act of, of obedience. To deny this command is not just disobedience, but also a lack of trust in God, a lack of personal humility. Think about what John said to Jesus as he was coming down to that water. He tried to prevent him, verse 14, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? He's absolutely right. John was absolutely right. He needed to be baptized by the Son of God coming down into the water. And yet, think about the act of humility of Jesus saying, no, no, I need you to baptize me. That's what obedience really boils down to is humility of saying, you know what, I will do what I'm told to do even if it doesn't really make sense to everyone else. I will do what God is telling me to do even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else. Why couldn't Jesus, the Son of God, say, well, why do I need to be baptized? If baptism doesn't save you, why do I need to be immersed into the water? Well, why, why, why? That's for people who have problems. That's for people who, who, uh, who have real issues. That's for people who've really sinned. I'm okay. I don't need to do that whatsoever. He could have, but if he had, he would have then been disobedient. And no matter what the preacher in skinny jeans tells you on the internet, God cares about obedience. What does the Bible tell us? He wants obedience even more than sacrifice. Obedience is important to God. And it is an act of obedience to be baptized. Number two, the second principle, is that baptism is the beginning of Jesus's and therefore our personal public ministry. What happens after Jesus is baptized? Well, three of the Gospels give us this testimony of Jesus being baptized. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And after three of these testimonies, here's what happens. He is immediately sent into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. Side note, after every victorious moment of spiritual obedience that you act out, prepare yourself Prepare yourself for the enemy, that is the devil, to come and tempt you, to try to pull you away, to try to steal the joy you have experienced by being obedient to God. It's just, it's just going to happen, and, and, and that's what happened to Jesus. But what I really want us to see, and we can't really cover it all, obviously, because we've got a limited amount of time, is the Gospels really testify that Jesus' personal public ministry began after his baptism. 
you can almost say that his baptism was the ordination of his personal public ministry. That, that's where it all began. That's, there was no record of him teaching or healing or leading disciples in any way before his baptism. After all, it was at this baptism we read that the heavens opened and the Father states, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God came, and it says it descended upon him in the form of a dove. And everyone would have heard that voice, and everyone would have seen that dove come down. How does this correlate to us? At the moment that we surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord, there's some things that happen. We are justified forever of our sins, completely washed, free from the penalty of death for our sinfulness. That's the first thing that happens. Or that's what happens the moment we are, are surrendering to Jesus as Savior and Lord. We understand we have new life through Jesus Christ. We become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But we also understand, the Bible tells us, that the moment we surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit literally indwells us. Now, that's not something if you went to the doctor and he opened you up, he'd be able to see. It is a spiritual element of our salvation. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live within us. And the Holy Spirit coming to live inside us means that He gives us some sort of spiritual gift, the Bible says. What kind of spiritual gift? That's for you to determine through your relationship with God and, and, and through convening with Him in prayer and reading the Word of God. He gives us some sort of spiritual gift, and the purpose of that spiritual gift is that we would serve God in a personal and public way. And that looks different for every single person. That's why it's called a personal public ministry. And if Jesus had a personal public ministry, guess what? That means we are too. We're, we're to have one as well. We're, we're, to, we're to see our baptism as the ordination, the kickoff ceremony for our personal public ministry for the name of Jesus Christ. We just talked about the Great Commission couple of things. The Great Commission states this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Normally we say something like this, salvation is not the end or the culmination of our spiritual growth, it's just the beginning. Likewise, as great as being baptized is, it is not the final step in following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus came up out of that water and he went to work. That's our calling too, every single one of us. Now, now Gage, don't worry. Where'd Gage go? There he is. I'm not going to hand you a mop after you get baptized and say, all right, go, go to work, boy. Or Abby or any of the other candidates that are being baptized here. I'm not going to do that. Holly, I'm not going to do that to you this morning, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is this is a call for all of us to recognize that we are not saved by works, but we are certainly saved to work for the name of Jesus Christ and for His glory and for the purpose of glorifying Him. And there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of ways that we can focus our life into some sort of public, personal ministry for the glory of God. Now church, this should be a great challenge to all of us. Because if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you have been baptized, and the question you've got to ask is, then what's my personal public ministry? And I'm not here to put any sort of 
parameters on that, guidelines, definitions, I'm telling you, you've got to find that on your own. It's all a part of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not all of us are called to be the next Apostle Paul. Not all of us are called to be the next Billy Graham. But we are all called to serve Jesus Christ through the, bapt- or through the salvation we have uh, gotten from Him and through the Holy Spirit who gifts us for that. And if the last great thing you did, we did for Jesus Christ, was get baptized, then i got to ask the question, what was the purpose of your baptism? What, what's, if the last, or the only way that you say, I, I serve Jesus, and, and the only way you can explain that is you attend church once a week, then i got to ask, what's the purpose of your baptism? Because it, just like Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, it's got to be to kick off our personal public ministry for His name, for His glory. Something we need to toil with, I believe. Number three principle. Why baptism? Is we find identity within the body of Christ when we are baptized. When Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, I keep repeating that, I hope you go home with that, was baptized into that water, he set in motion an, an, an identifying work of the body of Christ. And I want to make sure we all know the body of Christ is the church. Period. There is no other body of Christ. It is the church. Just, just I want you to make sure you all go home with that. Say that. The body of Christ is the church. It is. Not just First Baptist Church, Coleman Hill. Not, not just the church down the road or the church in the city, maybe if you don't live here, that you came from. But it's all, all of the body of Christ, all the church is a part of that body of Christ. And we are brought into the church not through a statement of membership, not through an act of baptism, we are brought into the church through the power of Christ when we surrender to Him as Savior and Lord. This is all by His power, all by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ in us and on us. And just as baptism symbolizes the great work of being united with God through Jesus Christ, it also symbolizes our unity as a church, the body of Christ. We are, all of us, adopted into one unified family, the family of God, the body of Christ, the church. Baptism is a testimony of our new life in Christ, which includes our new family, the body of Christ, the church. You see, my last name is Givens. Talking about my wonderful wife again. Her last name before she said those vows and put that ring on her finger, her last name was uh, Ramel. And when we got married, her last name changed. So something we do. And she became a Givens. Now, if she had just put on the name Givens, she would be, we could say, yeah, she's a part of the family of Givens. But it's when she does the things that Givenses do that she really begins to identify as a Givens. Now, I was brainstorming, and thankfully, we could both say we don't really do anything odd as a family. There's a few things that we make that only our family makes, some wonderful special recipes. Povatitsa is one of them. So, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Northea's had it. It's some good stuff, though. But that's not what makes us a part of the Givens family. Those traditions is not what makes us a part of the Givens family. 
it's that we've taken on that new identity. But that is representative of her becoming a Givens, taking on those identities and doing those things that Givenses do. By merely joining in relationship with me, she became a part of the Givens family. But it is in doing the Givens things with the Givens family that she finds identity with us. And so baptism not only identifies us with Christ, our Savior, but with the church, His body. It's an identifying mark. The Bible says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free. In this verse, the word baptizo, that Greek word, it's not talking about water. It is saying that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have all been immersed into one body, the church. And all that once separated us is no longer valid. And so you may say, well, no, I'm separated because I've got brown hair, gray hair, and you've got blonde hair, and that separates us. And No, 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 we have been made one because of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, no, 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 we're separated because you're in your 40s and I'm in my 20s or I'm in my 80s. And so that's, no, 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 we are made one in Christ. No, 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 I'm white and you're black and he's Hispanic and this and that, and that separates us. No, 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 we are made one into Christ. We are one body. Baptism shows this unity. It doesn't make us unified, but it shows that unity. Number four, the fourth and final principle of why we are baptized is that it is a picture of his saving work. Living on this side of the cross, living on this side of the resurrection, living on this side of Jesus' baptism, we can now see that what Jesus does in the water is a picture of what is to come. We can further see this beautiful picture because of the work of Christ's Apostles, apostles. one such apostle, Paul, wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's a lot of verse, a lot of things to think about. Romans 6, verses 3 through, 3 through 5, write it down, go back and read it. But essentially, here's what we find in these verses, the following information. Number one, baptism is a picture of the saving work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Baptism is a picture of it. Number two, baptism is a picture of my unity with Christ in my salvation, in my spiritual death, and in my resurrection. Baptism pictures not only what Christ did for us, but what Christ does in us. So I make the connection that Jesus, knowing all things, knowing what was in store for him on the cross, knowing that he would inspire Paul to write these words in Romans chapter 6, was baptized as a way of illustrating the purpose for which he came, that which would come soon in the next three years in his life, to die on a cross, to be buried, and to rise to new life. A true salvation experience is death to our old self and life to a new self through Christ. And this is why when we baptize someone, we say something to the effect of, 
buried with him in baptism, raised to live a new life, or raised to walk in newness of life. This is why we emphasize this as being a profession of faith. Baptism is a profession of our faith in Christ. Because this is a wonderful way to testify that there has been a change and you are no longer the same person you once were. But you're a new person, a new creation, a new identity. No longer the same person. Oh, yes, we still struggle with sin. Sin still remains, but sin no longer reigns in us. And this new life is not about about you. This new life is all about Christ in you. So why wouldn't we want to be baptized? Baptism shows what Christ did. and Baptism shows what Christ is doing in us. Why wouldn't we want to be baptized? Why wouldn't we want to testify to the amazing gift of new life in Christ we have been given? I can't think of a reason. So now what? What, what does this mean for us? The, I'm going to talk about the practice of baptism real quickly. This, it brings up the question of why we practice baptism here the way we practice it. If we understand why baptism in the first place, then we've got to ask the question, okay, then why do we practice it the way you practice it? And there's many opinions and many arguments on this subject. I mean, whole denominations have been created because of the issue of baptism. And there are some who baptize infants, and they believe that is enough. There are some who baptize through the sprinkling of water. There are some who baptize by just pouring water over the heads. But if we truly see that baptism is a picture of what Christ did on the cross, what He has done for us and in us, then there are certain conclusions I believe we must make about baptism. The number one, or first one is this, baptism should be after salvation. Now, notice I didn't say baptism must be, but should be. Baptism is not a part of your salvation. And so we're not here to tell you this is imperative. You must do baptism this way or you're not saved. That's, that, the, that, would be, that would be completely uh, contradictory of what the Bible teaches us. Baptism is not a part of salvation. But it is an act of obedience. And because it is an act of obedience to God the Father, I believe we should practice it in a certain way. We should be baptized after salvation. It's an act of obedience. If baptism is an act of obedience and profession, if it is the ordination of our ministry then how can an infant or a lost person be making any of these statements? Look what Christ has done in me. He hasn't done anything in you. You're lost. Look at the ordination of my ministry. You're a baby. You're two weeks old. He can't do anything through you right now except raise you up and keep you physically healthy. They cannot. And so baptism must be a conscious and spiritual decision by someone who has made their own personal decision to surrender to Christ as Savior and Lord. Otherwise, the act of baptism is just an act of getting wet. It's just an act of washing the dirt from your body. It also speaks to the need that we are certain a person understands baptism is not a part of our salvation. We get ready to baptize here in just a moment. I'm going to ask all of the candidates two questions, and the second one is this. Do you understand Baptism is not a part of your salvation. You've been saved by Christ. Baptism is a, is, a, is a testimony of that salvation. Do you understand that? I'm not going to say all of that to them, but I'm going to ask them that simple question. And their response is going to say, yes, we've already talked about this. Thankfully, I've had that opportunity to talk with each of them uh, about this issue. And so it must be an act after our salvation. It also speaks to the nerve that need to make sure we understand this because you know what, people can grow up and get old and they still think that baptism is a part of their salvation. Years ago, I served in a different church. 
I had an elder member, member, member of that church, Baptist church, come up to me and say, Brother Brian, shouldn't we be teaching how baptism is essential to salvation? And in the kindest way I could, kindness, kind, kindness, man, what is up today? I need to start doing vocal exercises or something. I don't know. In the kindest way I could, I said, no, because it's not. It's not a part of your salvation. Baptism is simply a testimony of that salvation. We need to make sure we're teaching that. We served in another church of another denomination that actually practiced infant baptism. Remember my wife and I were counseling with teenagers, doing some discipleship with them. And every time we would come to a point where we could ask them a question about salvation, you know what they would say? No, I, I was baptized when I was a baby. I'm already, I'm already saved. When we view baptism incorrectly, when we practice baptism incorrectly, when we are not careful to make sure that people understand what baptism is, then there's all of these errant teachings and understandings, really, understandings about baptism. We must make certain that we help people understand that there is a separation between our salvation and our baptism. Baptism is a testimony of our salvation. Number two, baptism should be full immersion. If baptism is a picture of the work of Christ for us and in us, how can sprinkling water or dabbing it on our heads ever give this picture? Because specifically as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I don't see how we can show that we have been raised out of a spiritual grave if we've not risen out of water. Being sprinkled with water to profess the work of Christ in our life is like saying, you want some fried chicken, but someone instead gives you some baked chicken with shake and bake on it. I mean, sure, it's good, but it has not been immersed in that vat of greasy goodness. Amen? Give me some fried chicken. Save your shake and bake for yourself. But then there is the very meaning of this word. I've alluded to it already. Baptism in the Greek means to immerse. Baptizo is a word that means to completely put under. In fact, in other ancient Greek writings, the word baptizo would be used to describe when a ship was sunk completely underwater. It wasn't used in, in salvific things. It was used to talk about ships sinking in the water. And so there's no way to associate this word in the Greek language with sprinkling or dabbing or pouring. When the Bible talks about baptism, sometimes it's referring to water baptism, but sometimes it uses the ideas to completely immerse, as in completely immersing yourself into Jesus, into God, into the Holy Spirit. That our salvation comes by immersing ourselves into Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I was a lost sinner, a mere sprinkling of Jesus Christ would not save me. I had to have all of him. I had to have all, I had to be baptized completely into him, immersed completely into the name of Jesus Christ, because man, I wasn't just barely lost. I was lost. Anybody recognize that? Anybody identify with that? I wasn't just kind of lost. I was completely lost. And I didn't need to be just barely uh, 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 sprinkled with Jesus. I needed to be completely dunked into Jesus. I wanted him all. I wanted all of him to cover me completely. We think about verse 17 again. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
if God is well pleased with his son, I can only surmise that Jesus represents the pinnacle of God's pleasure and approval. And so we come to this one resounding truth and conclusion. We cannot please God whatsoever apart from Jesus Christ. And so if you think a mere sprinkling of Jesus on your life will bring approval and pleasure to God, then you're mistaken. You must have all of him and all of you in him. It is only by and through him that we will ever experience the total forgiveness of our sins and the full approval of God upon us. Nothing I do, nothing I say, no matter how well you think this sermon sounds, nothing will ever bring approval to God except my relationship in Christ. So I must be completely put into him. I must completely surrender my life to him as Savior and Lord. What did your salvation require? What did it take for your sins to be justified, wiped away forever and ever? Friend, if it is anything less than your complete and total life surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord, then my fear is that you have not understood what salvation is about. I'm not concerned about your misunderstanding baptism. I'm concerned about your misunderstanding about salvation. Because salvation is not a, you know what, I'll give him this part of my life, but I'm going to keep the rest. The Bible says you must confess him as Savior and Lord. That means you've given all of yourself over to him. To trust completely means you trust completely, not just barely or sort of or kind of. Jesus does not become our sort of Savior. He becomes our complete Savior. He either saves all of us or none of us. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Get off the fence and stop being lukewarm. Give me all of you or give me none of you. That's the requirement. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to have a time of response. A time where our musicians are going to play music. When I ask you during this time of invitation for you to think about these questions, have you surrendered your life totally and completely to Jesus as Savior and Lord? If not, then this time of invitation is for you. This is a time for you to come forward and invite Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, to surrender to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Have you ever been biblically baptized, testifying to the act of salvation on your life? Biblically baptized, meaning you did it after you were saved and you were fully immersed. If not, this is a wonderful opportunity. We've already got the baptism baptistry filled with warm water. And I've got extra shorts and t-shirts in my office just ready to be put on. Hey, you laugh. I'm serious. There, there is not some sort of ritualistic thing we have to go through to baptize someone. If you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, there's no waiting. If you understand baptism is not a part of your salvation, that the baptism is a testimony of that salvation, and you've never, you've never practiced this act of obedience, do it this morning. Don't wait. Why are you waiting? My uh, experience is, is the more we put off something, the more or less likely we'll never do that something that God is commanding us. How about this? Is God calling you in some other way? To some other special ministry? If baptism is the ordination, the kickoff service of our personal public ministry, then what is the ministry that you know God has been calling you to do but you just haven't been doing it? You don't have to be a certain age to serve Jesus. You don't have to be a certain inclination to serve Jesus. He takes anybody and everybody who is willing and puts them to work for his glory and for his kingdom. And if you're like, I just don't know what to do. Man, we, I, I would be happy to give you some, some
some thoughts. We'll certainly pray for you in that way. Or maybe God has just put a call for vocational ministry on your life. Maybe you said, you know what, I think that God wants me to serve Him with the rest of my life. Amen. Come forward. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. We're not going to put you on the spot, obviously, this morning to preach a message or anything like that. We certainly do want to give everyone an opportunity to serve Jesus in any way possible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this morning, and thank you for this word, and I thank you for the patience of this people. As I've gone a little long, that's okay. You're never early, and you're never late, Lord. You're always on time. So, Father, I I pray that you would use this message, that you would use your word, that your Holy Spirit uh, would be working in each of our lives. And, Father, during this time of invitation, everyone would respond to the call of you on their life in a personal way. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.